0: How are we today everyone i'm your host tyler Coe, and welcome to my mental health show remember that you can watch this recorded version of the show on youtube as well as listen on spotify itunes or most of your audio platforms we do the show live each monday on twitch at 7 p.m central but today is tuesday as you guys know um and i think i got that right and i apologize if i didn't it has been a week and a half um in fact, let me tell you guys how I started off the day. This is amazing. So our guest, who I'm going to bring on here shortly. Um, we were we were talking this morning and she we, we did that standard procedure of she gave me her number and asked for mine just in case we had tech issues tonight, right? Like that's what you do when you have guests on. And so she gave me her number, which was her number, and I have been so foggy and so out of it and just like one track minded that I sent her back her own number as mine like (laughs) like she had to be thinking like i'm an absolute crazy person um and that's how bad it started off for today i'm like oh my god i was like i saw a number see the number and then i sent it to her because that's what it was uh give me one second um just texting somebody real quick glad i have that number we got it all figured out anyways so we're like I'm already off to like a hot start on a Tuesday by emailing or like letting my guests know, like, hey, I'm gonna send you back her number. I guarantee you that's never happened before in her life and it's never happened in mine. (sighs) But listen, uh, if I can take like a turn towards Siriusville, um, it's really because I'm exhausted right now. Uh, It has been one of the most trying two weeks in my life, if I'm being honest, in the past couple years. Um, And I have not been able to stream the past couple of weeks because I had COVID, um, fully vaxxed, fully masked wherever I go. I don't really go out much. I come here and do the show. You guys know that, and that's pretty much it. Um, COVID hit me pretty hard, really hard actually, uh, which was scary to know that like if I had not been vaccinated, it might have been a lot worse. But it has been definitely. A battle to even just get back to here to do the stream today and the worst thing about catching COVID as we all know is that you cannot go places uh, and for me and why we're gonna be talking about this tonight uh, for me that was missing my therapist funeral you guys know that she passed away earlier this summer a lot of the show is about her and I don't even know if I can really get into that uh, tonight because To be honest, that pain is so unbelievably layered by not being able to get that closure and go to her funeral that um, it's been difficult to manage. And it's funny because while it has been difficult, it also on the flip side has not because because of right or wrong, um, necessity or not, and cue the tiny violins right here, but my life for a very long time now has been basically a never ending series of cosmically bad, painful moments. And I'm going to, I'm about to rattle off a bunch of I statements and me experiences, but I want you to think about it, obviously in your own terms, because this can apply to anybody. Um, but it's been tough to having to refer to my life as it was as a past life, because I know I'm probably never going to get back there. Um, And that's my story, but that's easily just as well yours and you guys know what it's like. It's like when you are in that period in your life that you just cannot get out of and maybe it's been your whole lifetime. It's like crashing through floors. You crash through one floor, and then you crash through another one, and then another floor, and oh, here comes another one, and no, it's got to be the Nope, one more, and then, oh my gosh, this has got to be it. That one hurt. Nope, spoke too soon. Crash, 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 crash. It's it's comical. It's like a Scooby-Doo episode of crashing through floors that never stops. Because we all talk about the free fall and hitting rock bottom, but that's not really what it is. It's not a free fall where you don't run run into anything. It's just layer of pain, pain, pain and now that might be dramatic because without a doubt i've had happy moments in my life in the past couple years but on the flip side it kind of makes me burn because if your life is a 90 to 10 split of pain versus happiness then your life is pain and i don't really like people telling me well you know you should appreciate the small things you should smile more often well you know what that's great advice thank you so much but damn it's a little hard to breathe when my entire body is engulfed in flames and I'm quite confident that all of you know of what I'm talking about or currently do or have or will, again, experiences these lengths of time and time, which is the only currency that we have. And I keep losing it to pain, man, burning through it like cash just to try and get out of the debt that it keeps me in. And it keeps taking away from me things that I'll never get back. And I am so tired. You are tired. The people you know that go through it, they are so tired. And the point being that it has not stopped raining in my life for a very long time now. And for you, maybe it's gone on your entire life. Um, maybe the storm has been worse than others and don't know when it's going to end. And honestly, the soul bending pain of watching others dance under the sun might be the worst thing about it. Like how unbearable is the storm? like how long am I going to be here? Did I deserve this? Uh, You know, what can I do to get out of it? How much longer can I take? And it's like this double-edged sword of the human existence, right? Because beneath all of our biological programs, the most sturdy, the most resilient, the strongest is survival. And sometimes we wish that it wasn't because it'd be really easy just to give up, but it is against our entire nature to do so. And One of the hardest journeys in life is, at least in my opinion, not making it to the mountaintop. It's not achieving that goal. It's not reaching that milestone. It is working your way back to square one. That is the hardest thing in life to do. It's just get back to even. So how the hell do we do that? Um, How do we utter that badass line to the storm that says, you cannot withstand me, that I am the storm? Lucky for us tonight, Um, our guest is gonna help us with that, I hope, I hope she helps us find that voice um, and give us the tools to do so, and hopefully give us a little bit of hope to us wretched few. Uh, So I am honored to introduce and have on the program Ann Grady, and Ann, I gotta give you a little bit of an introduction, just a tiny bit of one. Uh, Ann is an internationally recognized speaker, guys, two-time TED Talker, which is just an unbelievable honor to have her on this show. Her work has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine, CNN, ESPN, Fox Business. She has a master's degree in organizational communication, more than 20 years, guys, of experience working side-by-side with industry gurus, political and educational leaders, and CEOs is the author of Strong Enough, 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work, and last but not least, author of Mind Over movement harness the power power of resilience so all of that is to say that this person probably knows a thing or two about a thing or two so let's welcome to the show Ann grady and how are we doing today
1: Hi. Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I was—I couldn't hear you talk before. You looked so animated, and like you were having this brilliant like conversation, <laughs> and I couldn't hear you.
0: <laughs> I apologize about that. It's—it's it's been one of those days. I'd—I want to say it's a Monday, but it's not. It's Tuesday, but it's, well, it's been. A... It's been a heck of a week having to deal with COVID and, and missing these things. And you know, we were talking about this. You're actually gonna be in a, at an event tomorrow um, that I was supposed to host, but obviously because of protocols, I'm not gonna be able to go, to attend, which is definitely a disappointment. Um, but it's so great to have you on the show today. And, and um, you know, I've told my viewers to go look at some of your videos and we'll post them here online and to check you out uh, because your message has been consistent. It's grown over the years. And as I do with most of my guests, I just kind of like to let you tell us a little bit about yourself. And, uh, you know, anybody that joins the mental health fight has, you know, they always have a unique beginning to their journey. And yours is definitely beginning that tested you more than others. And you've talked about realizing that you're strong enough. And I imagine that kind of starts with your son, Evan.
1: You know, because for years I started sharing Evan's journey um, really is a way to get help to understand what was wrong with him. You know, when he was born, I knew something wasn't right. When I was pregnant, he would kick so hard. I would literally drop to the ground. My doctor joked that he was going to be a soccer player. And when he was born, the nurse came into the room and she was like, honey, I've been doing this over 30 years. And in all that time, I have never met a baby so angry, which is always what a first time mom wants to hear. He just cried constantly. And You know, when he was 11 months old, I started her in early childhood intervention therapy because nobody could tell me what was wrong. When he was 18 months old, his father left. And so there I was single with a baby who cried constantly. And I was giving, you know, speeches and doing training. So I really just started talking about what I was experiencing selfishly to get help. And people would say, you know, thank you for sharing this story. I know I'm not alone now. And it actually wasn't until more recently that I shared my own mental health challenges. You know, I was diagnosed with clinical depression when I was 19, but the idea of a depressed motivational speaker, the irony. So I really didn't talk about my own challenges. I was sharing Evan's to get help. And then, you know, as Evan got a little bit older, um, when he was three years old, he tried to kill me with a pair of scissors. I wouldn't give him more ice cream. And by the time he was four, he was on his first antipsychotic. So I was going to every specialist imaginable. I was traveling all over the country trying to find answers. People told me if I were a better mom or I were more consistent. The pediatrician said I was crazy and making things up. Um, And when Evan was seven, I got a call from his school and his teacher said, and I don't know how to tell you this, Evan's kicked a hole in the sheetrock. He's taken out an electrical cord. He's tried to strangle himself. He's threatened to kill two students. He's just dislocated a teacher's fingers. And if he can't get here in the next 10 minutes, we have to call the police. So my husband, Jay, and I, um, I remarried at some point And we picked him up and drove to Dallas where we checked him into the pediatric psych unit of Children's Medical Center and spent the next two months living at the Ronald McDonald House while he underwent treatment. So Evan is an amazing kid. He's 18 years old now. But you take serious mental health challenges at a heaping spoonful of autism, sprinkle in developmental delays and learning disabilities and oppositional defiant disorder and sensory integration processing disorder, everything but a partridge in pear tree. And you just have a perfect neurological storm. You say up, he says down. You say right, he says left. You say take a shower, he says I'm going to kill you. And... Um, And so, yeah, I I was not I didn't start out studying resilience. I was a leadership development and communication uh, researcher, and that's what my degree was in. It wasn't until like I really hit bottom that I began studying it for myself and learned that it's a skill. It's a muscle. And just like anything else, you can build it. And I became really passionate about teaching people how.
0: I think it's a tremendous story. Uh, and, and right there, anybody listening can understand like how you got that resilience and having to build that. And I think that's the one thing that I was so interested to talk to you about is building that muscle and, and calling it a muscle. Because um, as we'll get into it later, I think so many people spin their wheels and they grind and they don't understand why they're not moving anywhere. And it's just like bashing their head into a wall. But you kind of came up with a formula um, that you called it's it's courage plus resilience equals triumph
1: yeah. in my second book strong enough and my and my TED talk was geared around that. Um, since then that formula has evolved. Um, and so it is you know courage and resilience combined both are skill sets and and most people think, well, I'm either resilient or I'm not or I'm either brave or I'm not and and it, it, that's not the case, they're skills. But now uh, what I have really realized is that it's a—it's cultivating a resilient mindset, it's cultivating a re- resilient skill set, and then it's using the ability to reset, to really take back ownership of our brain rather than, you know, it, it typically, if we're obeying our brain, it will generally make us miserable. So I became really fascinated with learning how to make our brain work for us, that mindset component, the skills of resilience, like teachable, practicable, learnable skills. And then this ability to reset your nervous system, um, to reset your perspective and your priorities. And so that's really the model that I follow now. my newest book, Mind Over Moment, kind of goes through each of those those areas.
0: And I love the beginning. I I mean, I love the entire thing, you know, harness that power, but mind over moment, because that is the hardest thing to do is that when you're in that storm, you're in that moment in your life that is crushing, whether that's chronic pain or getting a diagnosis. And like, for me, you know, being bipolar and then being kicked off my medication of like, what do I need to do right now? Because I think most people in that, it's almost kind of like, uh, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to incense anybody in that group, but there's almost an understanding like, If you have cancer and you look at another person who has cancer, you guys don't even need to speak. You just know. A pair of wait, you
1: were kicked off your medication.
0: I was kicked off my medication uh, when my insurance company a few years ago got bought and sold in the middle of the night. They were paying for my bipolar medication, which is just you know lamotrigine, um, you know lithium as well, Uh, and I had to go through the entire spiel again. In fact, the guy on the phone said to me, "He's like, are you sitting down?" And I was like what are you about to give me a brand new deal? Like, like I don't know. And he's like, no, I have to ask you a whole list of questions and it's going to take about 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. And so when it got to the bipolar medication part, I was like, would well, you guys already pay for this? He's like, yeah, well, we don't now. So you're off. So, you know, in one of the, in that moment, that's a breaking moment for me, right? If for another individual who's going through something else, like it, it, you're going to find yourself in those situations that blindside sucker punch you what is that first step that you recommend to people of like all right i'm going to find the courage to move forward i'm going to try and be resilient but i don't really know where to start right now
1: well first of all you know i've been so honored that i've gotten to to do things like this and really advocate for mental health i testified in front of the texas legislature about that exact topic non-medical switching because we you know there were times where we were paying more for evans medication than we were a mortgage Right. Like there was one medication in particular that was really working, Raylar, and it was twenty five hundred dollars a month. Oh my God. And, um, and 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 we had to get off of it. So I just it makes me crazy. But, um, you know, look, he, there's not a silver bullet. It's it's not an easy answer. The way I define resilience is I mean, there's the Webster definition, right? Recovering from misfortune or change, bouncing back but I take it a little, a different turn, right? And it's how do you extract meaning from the stuff that you're going through? How do you extract meaning from the adversity? And none of this you can see while you're in it, right? When you're in the middle of it, it's overwhelming and exhausting. You feel like you're in a hole that you can't see a way out of, but everything changes, change is constant, right? And so you're able to look back with perspective in five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is, and learn from it. It's called post-traumatic growth. And the average person experiences five to six traumas in a lifetime, right? We're all gonna get knocked down. So it's not a question of, will I get back up? Because the answer is yes, you will. It's a matter of how do I use this challenge to get stronger? And so I'm a huge advocate of saying, look, you don't have to do this alone. if you are struggling, like I think everybody should have a therapist or a coach. Right. And it's weird because I've been experiencing this in my own family right now. You know, Evan's the one we've always talked about, but my daughter Riley is 19 and she was always the healthy, happy, you know, normal kid. Right. And she is going through a really challenging time to the point where she's part of a partial hospitalization program right now, like struggling with anxiety and depression and watching her in the depths of that, pain, right? It's it's so hard to find a way out. So the hardest part is saying, I need help. The hardest part is admitting that it's not a mental weakness, it's biology. And you wouldn't give someone crap for taking insulin or chemo, right? But we have this stigma that is attached to it that does such a disservice. So it, one, it's normalizing the mental health conversation. It's normalizing the fact that it, it, it's okay to not be okay right? Happiness is an $11 billion industry. And your brain's not supposed to be happy all the time. Your brain doesn't care if you're happy. It just wants to keep you alive. So it's working against you. And the first part is to recognize that it's okay not to be okay. And then the harder part is saying, I need some help, whether that's medication therapy, a combination of both. Um, there's no straight path or one way for everybody. You know, For me, it's been a combination of medication and therapy and a lot of work hard work and you know my daughter's 19 and I was she was like I feel like a crazy person for having to go through this and I said a you're not crazy Um, and b everyone has to do the work you're either going to do it now or in your late 30s with two kids and a failed marriage right so like everybody has to do the work it's just a matter of recognizing that you're the only one who can do the work
0: it's tough, right? It's a, it's kind of like that lead a horse to water thing. You talk about watching your daughter do this because you can be there and you can find community. Um, you know, I'm somebody that I, it, I, I'm so common with what I've gone through with my bipolars that I would put myself in helpful situations, but I wasn't helping myself. You know, I had a therapist. I went to group therapy. I went to AA. I did intensive outpatient pa- uh, uh, patient care, but I wasn't helping myself through all of those things. And so it's just me. That was me spinning my wheels because you're right. Yeah. You do have to put in the work. And you gave during one of your TED Talks, um, you know, talking about that pro, uh, post-traumatic growth, um, mm-hmm. you gave the audience a story about uh, that. I'm going to quickly paraphrase that you were basically attacked by a mugger. Um it wasn't me. It, it wasn't, was just, no the hypothetical. Sorry. Yeah. The hypothetical if you've been attacked by a mugger uh you're okay but you go to the hospital for your injuries and while in the care of the doctor you get kind of like a matrix-esque like morpheus question red pill blue pill of mm-hmm. one of those of if you take the pill this pill you forget about all of the pain if you take the other one you do remember it and so i, I think we can mostly agree like you know it's good like you said to have those lessons and to take from that in that moment um, and harnessing those lessons. But I do have a question. How do we know that we've overstayed our welcome in a world of pain? Is there something that we need to recognize that like, how many years do I need to put in? How long do I need to stick in this? Or do I need to look for an alternate escape route?
1: Such a tough question. And I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a therapist. So all of the answers that I give you are just my own personal experience. I think. If you're not getting results and you're not changing behavior, here's the problem. You can get all the help in the world, but if you're not willing, at the end of the day, here's the way human behavior works. If you're not happy with the result you're getting, I don't care if it's in your marriage, with your family, your kids, your job, your life, right? You have two choices, basically only two. You can change the way you're thinking and the way you're behaving to get a different result, or you can settle for the result you're getting and quit bitching about it right? Like we, most of us are not, we have a a locus of control and someone with an internal locus of control, who's like, I own it. I'm in a crappy situation, but I need to find a way out of it. I will figure it out. That's an internal locus of control. An external locus of control is, well, the world's against me. I can't get better because all of these other people are holding me down. And we know that people who have an internal locus of control are more resilient, right? They, they take ownership of it. But there's no timetable for pain. You can't microwave grief or sadness. The problem is, and you experience this, right? Like anytime you don't wanna feel an emotion, a lot of times people try to numb it. It's the reason alcohol sales have skyrocketed since the beginning of COVID, right? Nobody wants to feel crappy. The problem is the only way to get over it is to go through it. And that sounds trite, but you have to sit in the suck. Like you have to get curious about what it is and sit in that and start asking yourself some tough questions. And if you're not happy with the result, you have to start paying attention to, you know, our brain takes anything we do repeatedly and converts it into a habit. And that's a thought process as well as an action. And the problem is most of us get more comfortable with old problems than new solutions. Like even the crappiest bumpy road that you know is easier to go down than the smooth road that you don't. So what ends up happening is we just get comfortable in the discomfort and end up staying there because the unknown is more scary. And it has to hurt bad enough where you are to force you to make a change or where you wanna be has to be so great that you're willing to be uncomfortable in order to get there. But unfortunately, most of us just stay stuck in old problems and say, there's no way out. The problem is your brain, You know, we have experience-dependent neuroplasticity, and and basically it's a fancy way for saying the more you think and behave a certain way, the easier it is to think and behave that way. So your brain is shaped based on your experiences. So the more often you're anxious and irritable, the easier it is for your brain to default there. And the problem with COVID, you know, is that people have been in this chronic cortisol-induced uncertain stress state. And a lot of our brains have become so desensitized and so habitualized to that, that it's really hard to change that. It's doable, but it's got to hurt bad enough.
0: The, okay. First of all, I feel personally attacked because my, it's like, <laughs> that's all of my entire audience. Anybody listening to the show is like, why you got to cut so deep, Ann? Oh, oh, I do. No, no. Because it's true. Sitting in the suck and like, I think all mm-hmm. of us can relate to, you know, I, I talked about this on a couple of episodes ago about being, you know, it's the devil, you know, than the devil you don't when it comes to the pain and like running back to the pain. Being yeah. comfortable with it because I know the walls, I know the dimensions and I know how it feels. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have this than something else, the unknown that you talked about. I'm kidding about being personally attached Just like life. No, but it's why people
1: go back to abusive relationships and why we repeat the same problems, right? And it's not intentional or conscious. You, Most people don't sit there and go, oh, I'd rather be miserable because it's the misery I know. But the idea of change is so overwhelming and people don't even know where to start. And that's why, you know, I'm not an advocate of medication minus therapy, but I do think that sometimes you need help to get through that layer of grime and dust. And then you can start clearing the cobwebs and do the work. But sometimes you need that. I know for me personally, I could know all of the things, right? I study this for a living. I suffer from depression, right? So I still get in those places. And there's not a, like, what is wrong with you? Why are you still in pain? That That's the worst thing you can do. It's, um really starting to pay attention that's why mindfulness has become such an important practice for me and something i swore i would never do like everybody told me to practice mindfulness my grammy i say this all the time because it's hilarious to me my grammy um she's 96 she lives in connecticut and she says you know honey if enough people tell you you're tired maybe it's time you lay down like if enough people (laughs) give you the same advice there's probably some truth to it and she always follows that with and sweetie if you act like an ass don't be surprised if people try to ride you but you know, that's just my grandmother. I love
0: and Grammy, that's great. We gotta get her on the show.
1: No kidding, she's amazing. She's like, now she's four foot six. She started out as four foot nine. But yeah, so meditation and mindfulness for me was like the most unappealing last thing I wanted to do. And I, I really visualized sitting in a full lotus and eating tofu and finding my Zen. And like, none of, I'm a type A personality, perfectionist, high strung normally. And so that didn't appeal to me until I started studying it. And I have always been in some type of cognitive behavioral therapy where you focus on identifying the thoughts, keeping you stuck and shifting those thoughts. And what I love about mindfulness is it requires none of that. It's not a substitute for therapy. I still think you need the cognitive approach. Right. But mindfulness is going to a much more simplistic place and dealing it with dealing with it from a different perspective. And it became such a powerful way for me to navigate the sadness and the anxiety. Uh, doesn't mean I don't have it still, but it means that I now have a plan of attack for when it happens.
0: Just amazing wisdom. I'm trying to think of like what to say to that, but I'm just I I'm just like a kid. I just want to listen because I'm like, you you're in my brain. That's exactly. It's those things that you need that reinforcement yeah. with. Well, I mean, we, we have to hear this time and time again to try and make sure when you're talking about mindfulness, that's something I also, when you say you're a type a and I don't need that and I don't want that. I very much relate to it. I'm sure a lot of our audience says as well. I've always been that guy rise and grinds. Like I'm going to force my way through it. I'm just a bullheaded guy. That's what I do, but trying to figure out how to be mindful. And I'm actually in one of those situations right now. I know i had myself muted during the pre-roll that I talked about at the beginning of the show of losing my therapist this past summer and then not being able to go to her funeral last week so I'm in a situation right now of I wanted closure I was looking forward to it life has different plans and having to fight natural reaction in my own body of like well I don't want to whatever whatever didn't matter I'm over it and I know that I have to like you said sit in the suck which is such a great phrase Of trying to be mindful and trying to figure out next steps which is something I wouldn't have done if I hadn't been practicing mindfulness like you talked about
1: yeah and I people have this um, this view of it like I'm sorry I need to quiet my brain I need to be alone like stop my thoughts that's not what it is at all like I, I had so many misconceptions about what it means and why it's so powerful it's literally becoming the observer of your thoughts and emotions It's becoming the observer of how, like when people say I'm mad, well, how do you know? Well, I don't know, I just feel mad. Well, but how do you know? Like what happens in your body? Oh, well, my stomach tightens up and my heart races and my hands get sweaty and my shoulders get tense. Okay, so mindfulness is recognizing those things, not assigning judgment, good or bad. It's just recognizing them because when you're paying attention to those sensations, you're present, right? And so it's this ability to start, questioning what are the things I'm thinking or doing or saying right before I start feeling those things you know because anything we do either makes us feel good or makes us feel bad right and there's healthy good or bad but I was starting to nerve- notice that every time Evan's school bus would come home or about a half an hour before it my heart would start pounding because when he got off the bus it was like You know, like it was horrible, right? We'd have knockdown, drag out, aggressive meltdowns and it it was awful. And I started getting these like, I thought I was having a heart attack, just, you know, thinking about the bus coming home. And I had to start, you know, just changing my thought process wasn't going to do it. I had to start paying attention to what was driving the physiology so that I could tap into it and observe it without getting swept away by it. And it's just such a simple practice, but it's just brain training. That's all it is. It's training your brain to direct its attention where you want it to go instead of where it goes on its own. Because most of us default to the negative and what's wrong. We have a negativity bias. We are constantly looking around our lives for everything that's wrong. Um, And we have to retrain our brain. I, I, I heard someone say this and it was so profound, yet it sounds so bizarre. You have to use your mind to change your brain.
0: That's a really you're dropping some knowledge on us tonight, mm-hmm. and I love that that's such a good saying as well, because that it and it's so true, and it's so funny what you say and it, it's something that we talk a, a lot about on this show and that I've heard when I go to mental health conferences or speaking engagements it's simple it's that word simple is that it really is the simplest answer. It's hard to get there, and it's hard to do, wow. but it's, it's very... the simplest thing to do is that is and that's going to help you the most
1: yeah, absolutely and it and it's so simple we dismiss it right? Like, oh, that couldn't possibly work. Like, how is just sitting quietly going to help my brain work better? Well, because we let our thoughts control us and our thoughts and our feelings are not facts. They're just information, right? So there's a saying, don't believe everything you think, because most of us have these self-defeating, horrible thoughts. Like we wouldn't, you wouldn't stay friends with someone very long who talks to you the way you talk to you right? Yeah. So we, we we wouldn't let a friend or another person into that mental real estate to bash us and tell us we're not good enough and we're not smart enough and people don't like us and we're not. But we do it to ourselves and then we believe ourselves, right? Which is the travesty. Because if somebody else said it, you'd be like, get the hell out of my brain house. Like, you're not welcome here. And we set up camp and then just convince ourselves that these things, these beliefs, these thoughts are reality when in fact they're not, they're distorted,
0: It's one of those things, um, I think that's so true what you said, and I I think a lot of us know that again, but we just don't practice it, and I learned a lot about myself that when you're talking about specifically um, how we speak to ourselves is how we would never speak to anybody else, but I've also noticed uh, during therapy, talking through it with my therapist, um, just another shout out to getting therapy for everybody out there, um, that how i reacted to that reaction was something to look into because when you talk about well if a friend said that to somebody else or they said or somebody else said that to your friend my reaction would be blind rage of like bloodshed and violence of like i would want to beat that person up and that's how i treat myself is that harshly so digging into that reaction as well and trying to figure out those emotions have has been extremely beneficial to me of like Having to notice again that simple thing of just noticing the little things, like you said, the observer of your own thoughts and brain.
1: But the aggression that you feel and the rage you feel comes from somewhere, right? Yeah. So it, it has to be uncovering like what what is it that's driving that? Because most of us just try to treat the symptoms. But if you don't get down to that root cause, then you spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to shift behavior without addressing the root cause of it, right? And right. so. It's, it's hard to go ask those questions, but you know, the answers it's, it's the reason therapy is so valuable. You know, a lot of people use their significant other as their therapist, and it's the worst thing you can do. One, the person's not objective and two, it's not fair to them, right? They've got their own shit they're dealing with. And so when you are trying to think of what do I do, where do I go, like having a trained professional, ask really tough questions and hold your feet to the fire. The problem I will say that I have experienced with a lot of people who come talk to me about this is that they went to a therapist once or twice and didn't feel like it was a good fit and then stopped. Or they went to one and then they tried another and another and they were tired of telling the same story, you know, and starting from scratch over and over and again. But, you know, it's, it's how bad do you want change, right? So there are lots of, I'm sure mediocre therapists out there there are tons of really exceptional ones and the thing about COVID is it's made telehealth so much more accessible um, and and mental health more accessible it's it's the most amazing thing I see in the companies that I'm working with the the way people are starting to have these different conversations
0: and I'm glad you brought that up because I was just about to ask you when we're talking about our own personal journeys you know the world just to reside in it right now is so unbelievably difficult with COVID and everything else going on and I'm so curious to know that when you go because you do you do a lot of speaking engagements and you talked about leadership training and talking to corporations and different businesses what is the most common thing that you're talking about right from the jump when you go talk to folks as a group what what is the main conversation?
1: Well, it's what I told you in that resilience is a set of skills and thought processes, that it's teachable and trainable and practicable, but that it takes time. But the other thing that I have found really profound is that most people think there's something wrong with them when they're not happy all the time. Most people think there's something wrong with them if you know like we we hear things like well you have so much to be grateful for like why aren't you focused on the positive things well that just makes someone feel worse then they feel crappy and they feel shame for feeling it right the the thing that has surprised me most is that people don't realize that you're not supposed to be okay all the time it's not a moral failure if you're unhappy it's congratulations you're human right like happiness is not a genetic gift it's not a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow it's a skill and it happens in these micro moments these tiny little moments that we often are so busy rushing through to get to wherever we want to be that we miss those and and so what i love teaching people is that the skills the belief systems the way that you actually change that and and it's so cool to see like engineers at Lockheed Martin and and software engineers at Dell and teams at Google and Microsoft who are like, no, I should be strong and I need to get through this. And that doesn't work. It's why one out of every three adults and kids right now is struggling with a mental health issue. And it's costing the global economy a trillion dollars a year. Like at some point we have to normalize this conversation and it's the first time in my career in over 20 years that i hear people having the conversation and asking for help to have the conversation and it's refreshing
0: well i mean it's people like you that are leading the charge you've been beating the drum for a better part of two decades and i mean that stuff it does pay off because it's a repetition of like you just have to keep saying the same thing to these people and hopefully it changes and I'm glad that you're doing that on a corporate level and a company level because that's so essential. Every day there's something new coming out about some sort of company doing something that was bearing people's well-being, not taking care of their mental health, and it is coming more to the forefront. So thank you for your service in that and doing your part to help the globe because that's how we solve all world issues in my opinion. If we can make everybody okay up here, then maybe things will be a little bit calmer. We won't be as unhappy and upset and violent and war driven and all this stuff if we just take care of each other and I think one of the things is telling people that mental health is real number one which I know is a crazy concept for you and I to even like buddy up to, because it's like yes it's real but trying to even convince people that seems to be easier and easier nowadays
1: well and I, I teach globally right so I can speak to someone in Singapore or China or Bangalore you know and there's a different perception of mental health throughout the world. Like we're finally at a place where in the US we're normalizing these conversations and having them, but there's a large part of the, the globe that is still, that still attaches shame or a weakness to it. So it's just, you know, it's education, but it's also, I think most people feel like if they share vulnerably, that it's a sign of weakness. And what we know is that the best leaders are the ones who are sharing their own personal struggles and being authentic and vulnerable and real to make it a safe space for everyone to do it. So parents should be talking with their kids, right? Like if you have a child who's upset or sad, instead of trying to cheer them up, dig deeper and find out why they're sad, right? And there might not be a reason and it's okay. As adults, we're the ones who are like, don't feel sad. Don't feel angry. Don't, don't. No, don't think that way. Instead of helping dig in and go, "Let's talk about it." It's okay to be angry. Let's let's talk it out. And I think as parents, we're we've been conditioned to strive for perfection. We want our kids to make good grades and we want them to socialize and we want them to be part of all of these activities. But if we're not making it safe for them at a very young age to start having some of these conversations and feelings, like a a girlfriend of mine today, she's a colleague, she's a senior leader at at one of the companies where I work. And she she said when her daughter was five years old, she said, there's a voice in my head telling me I'm stupid and fat at five, right? And so most of us are like, oh, don't even listen to that voice. But we don't teach kids how not to listen to that voice or who that voice is or what to do with it. I just think it's a whole paradigm shift. I I just spoke for the Texas jails. It's the largest mental health provider in the state. And I learned that out of all 51 states, Texas is the worst. It is the worst with mental health. And I just... I just don't think there's an excuse for it. It's why are why we're spending so much money on insurance and you know sick days. It, mental health is physical health, but mental health is more than the like it's more than the absence of mental illness. It's a collection of skills. And I was in um like Jay and I got to go on our honeymoon ten years after we were married, and we went to Antigua, and there was a woman there. Her name was Keitha, and she was the I guess the lady who seated us at the restaurant every day. And, and I mean, she's from Jamaica. She had the most beautiful smile. She just had this amazing spirit. And one day a customer was kind of rude to her and, and she had just a big smile on her face. And I'm like, Keitha, how do you stay so positive? And in her thick Jamaican accent, which I won't try to mimic, she, she said, well, you have to protect your peace. And I think that we haven't been taught to do that. We, ha- we have to protect our peace and our mental health and make it a job.
0: That's a powerful saying right there. It's amazing where you can find those things, those mm-hmm. little gems that people will drop here and there. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's the struggle, is to try and hold on to that. And man, try and be resilient enough to make sure that nobody can touch it so and I I appreciate you being on today everything you talked about is just all of us just just hitting us heavy right in the heart but in the best way because it's so true and it's a good reinforcement that and it's a hard truth to swallow that you can acknowledge like you said that something is going on but you need to be mindful of it and you have to do something about it you can't sit on your own sideline right like you have to get into the fight you have to be resilient learn to be courageous go read your book is what people should go do to go check it out. Um, and, and before I let you go, I, I kind of want to put you on the spot a little bit because I, I just feel like you're the right person to ask this question because um, I'm sure whoever whoever it is that's listening or watching, I don't know who you are, but somebody needs to hear this today. Um, and with everything we've been talking about and how hard these things are whatnot, what would your message be to somebody uh, who would ask you, uh, why should I not give up? Tell me why I should not give up.
1: because everything changes, change is constant. So it's like an ocean, right? If you're if you're not happy where you are, wait, everything changes. It's like the weather in Texas, right? You will not be miserable forever. And I think sometimes when you're so down, it's hard to see that. But as someone who's been there, right? Who's been down, who can't see any way out of it, things will change they'll they ebb and flow and life is a series of valleys and it's you know i mean it's like it's the nature of change if you're not happy wait a little bit but giving up i've had several family members commit suicide and don't think it hasn't crossed my mind when i've been in the depths of despair right but it's the easy way out and i get it like you just i'll do anything not to feel this pain anymore but wait because things will change. There is help available. There are things that you can do. There are skills that you can practice. There are experts you can see. And if you have gotten into a habit of being unhappy, you have to learn the habits to shift the outcome, right? You have to engage in new habits. So most people think like, I'm miserable. I want to stop feeling miserable, but your brain just hears misery, so it's super counterintuitive. I know this sounds crazy, but the way that you get out of misery is not to stop misery, it's to cultivate positive emotions and experiences. So it's gratitude, it's mindfulness, it's social connection, it's laughing even when you don't feel like laughing, right? It's it's doing the things, there, there's so much research, right? Go for a walk, get out in nature, take deep breaths, connect with someone, laugh, watch a Netflix comedy. You know, there, there's a million things and none of them individually are going to make a dramatic change, but when they build on each other in culmination, those things become super powerful. So just wait, give yourself some time, um, cause it'll change.
0: Thank you, Anne. You're a very good person, a tremendous oh. person. <laughs> thank you for sharing. <laughs> and, uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your time. And we have a lot to process. This was, this was so much, um, to, to kind of comprehend because it's but it's also simple like you said but it takes a lot of thought and being right. mindful and trying to build on those things to get us back to where we need to be and thank you so much for joining the show um is there anything you want our, our audience to check out that you're you're digging right now uh where can we buy the book by the way mind over moment
1: so all of my books are available on Amazon and a portion of all the proceeds go to the National Alliance on Mental Illness here in Central Texas. Nice. So there's three books and Mind Over Moment has a journal that was actually illustrated by a special education teacher in Texas. It's so much fun, so fantastic. But you can find those there, but you can also go to my website and for free resources and to sign up for a weekly resilience reset email that we send out with tips, tools, and strategies. You can find me on social at Ann Grady Group, or subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, it's just taking it one day at a time, and and never underestimate the power of breathing. Anytime you are consciously focused on how you are breathing, it resets your nervous system. So w- we get to take back control, and and your breath is an easy place to start.
0: and I loved everything today. Uh, this was amazing. We got to have you back on sometime in the future. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it in person. I have no idea. Who knows? Maybe the world opens back up soon. But uh, for the time being, we'll let you go. But thank you so much. Uh, I hope the rest of the year is great for you. And I'll definitely get my gang on uh, everything that you just talked about.
1: You as well. Thank you for having me, Tyler. we
0: We'll see you. (laughs) Okay. Gosh. Man, how good is Anne? You can understand why she's a TED Talker. Two times. Everything she said, come on, you guys got to be honest with me. Um, Definitely like cut to the core everything she talked about. And so many of our guests have said the same thing almost on every single episode, right? About doing the simple things of breathing, of walking, of building on those moments, of being mindful. And I'm glad that it's just constant repetition because that's what it takes. Because eventually, one of these days, right, it's going to break through your brain. One of these days, it's going to break through mine. I don't know when been trying for like 20 years, but maybe year 21 is going to be the year. You never know. Um, but thank you so much to Ann for joining the show. Um, she's extremely busy. Obviously she's everywhere, putting out fires, trying to educate people. So the fact that she was able to stop by for us, thank you so much, Ann. Um, so guys, that's going to pretty much do it for the, um, uh, this week's episode. I appreciate you guys sticking with me through my foggy brain and trying to get this one up and running. I know I look terrible. Uh, I will aim to work on that by the next time you see me. Maybe I'll put some bronzer on or something else like that. Definitely need to get some anti-shine. My God, I do look like I had COVID. Been living in a shack for two weeks away from the people. But anyways, um, I love you guys. Please go check out her book, Mind Over Moment. Uh, And this, it's easier said than done, but we all need it right now. I need it in a big way. This has been, these two weeks have been, those two weeks in your life or month that'll break your life in half. And you're like, well, I gotta move forward. So what are we gonna do? So trying to figure that out right now, step one, do the show again, talk to my good people. Um, and then we we make the next move. So wherever you are and whatever you're struggling with, I hope you have the courage to be resilient. We all still want you here. Um, You're the tough ones that we need in the future to make this world a better place. Um, So with that said, I'll let you get to it and I'll see you guys next week.